Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. And for those of you who care about news, I've decided, Michael, the only other place I want to go, Blue Sky. I am on Blue Sky at Braden Gall. It's the only one. I'm not doing any one other ones other than that one. But Twitter's where we talk about the Preds. And if you want to get to me about anything else Nashville related, at Blue Sky. There you go. I'm disappointed that you're not a, a Threads fan. <laughs> well, is Threads a thing? Does it still exist? <laughs> it still exists. I get I get more notifications on my Instagram for Threads than I do for actual Instagram now. It's ridiculous. Mm, Social that's... media, man. It's the bane of all existence. I am barely on Instagram, only for like largely my kids and work reasons. Uh, I definitely did not automatically sign up for Threads. Uh, I'm not on uh, any of the other ones. I'm I'm really not on Facebook. Uh, I'm not on TikTok. I am not on Truth Social. I'm not on Discord. We've talked about Discord because it's largely like Reddit in a chat room. And Preds Reddit is actually, there's a lot of Preds fans out there that want to have these conversations. So maybe we need to think about Discord, maybe, Michael. Maybe that's what we need to do. It's funny you mentioned Preds Reddit. I was going down a rabbit hole the other day looking for something and saw oh, some no. people talking about our show and talking about us and me specifically and Uh-oh. the state of Preds Media. And it was it was a good laugh. So, well. Uh, the internet, always a great and wonderful and amazing place to get uh, uh, to build up your self-confidence and your self-worth. You know, all these giant, massive internet studies about the impacts that Instagram has on teenage girls, they all indicate that it's great for their psyche. That's what I've been told. <laughs> I just want to throw this out there. I, I, don't, I don't pull a Nick Cousins and I don't go Google my name after each game or whatever and try to find <laughs> people to talk about. I have people that send me something like, hey, do you see what so-and-so said about you on Reddit? And I'm like, oh, cool. Man. Joe Schmo five two eight seven six on Reddit. Like, I, I never know. I'm not. I don't know that guy. I'm never going to meet him. It, well, I hope you do. Like, okay. I hope. I hope you do meet Joe Schmo seven six two five out in public, and you can just be like, "Hey, man, how are you?" And then he can be like, "Oh, Mike's a nice guy." Um, so. I will say the the people that tweet, most of the people that tweet at me on Twitter, they're they're pretty nice. They enjoy the interaction, the reporter to fan interaction. That that's that's a fun part of the job. Well, that really truly is like, and that's why honestly, Discord. Like, that's kind of what I was getting at. Like, Discord is something I've thought about for the entire company because I think there is a place for us to have, like, more of a conversation. Like, Harrison, for example, shout out to Harrison, who whipped my ass in fantasy hockey this week, put me put me to sleep with a 7-3-2 and two week. Um, you know, there'd be a, it'd be fun to, like, get in a place where we can all have a conversation and, like, Elon Musk is not involved in it, you know? Uh, it would be great. Yeah. My wife, My wife truly does not understand like this profession and this in particular sports talk radio where you have a, a live audience to call in and tell you how dumb you are at all times, like for a living. And she's just never understood my, the, the entire choice of career. And it's like, no, honey, I don't think you get it. Like I talk about hockey and football for a living. Like, I don't think she, she gets it, but then she doesn't get it at the same time, you know? So anyway, enough about you and yeah, I, enough the same about with my story. wife too. It's, it's hard to explain to someone that isn't in the business. Like, why people either they want to listen to you because they either really agree with you and they you're validating them or they just want to argue <laughs> with you and tell you you're wrong. It's it's two extremes and that's just the way sports is and that's why it's great. Again, that's the entire internet. <laughs> if you are seeing videos right now on the internet that validate your opinion about what I don't know hypothetically a major worldwide situation, you might want to rethink what you're watching. I'm just saying. I'm just saying if you get totally if you get completely validated you might want to be careful. Same thing with Preds content. Like if you're if you have an opinion about where you so parson and should be playing on the line and then you find a video that, that that completely validates your opinion, I think everyone's first instinct should be to stop, take a breath 
and analyze what you're watching. That's all. Just that's all I'm asking. That's all I'm asking. Uh, yeah, people don't people don't understand. Uh, my wife doesn't understand. At least if you ever if you ever want to be told if I ever if I'm ever having a really great day, Michael, and I just want to be told fuck you, I just open up my phone. It's great. It's great. It's great. <laughs> Instant uh, access to everything all the time. It's not good for the brain. We've got a lot of stuff to discuss on the show today. There's obviously, unfortunately, a major tragedy. Speaking of social media and videos, major tragedy with the passing of Adam Johnson, a former player with an incident that could change some rules on safety. There's a gambling suspension um, that we've got a bunch of new lineup twists and turns with with what John, uh, John. Oh, my gosh. I just about I about just said John Hines with what Andrew Brunette is doing with the lineup at the top PTSD. there. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was terrible. The power play looks to be in good shape. Got some questions about the penalty kill right now uh, as it pertains to this team. Uh, some five-on-five five stats that I think you guys are going to want to hear. Of course, since the last time we talked, they beat Toronto, a very good Toronto team, high-flying team, 3-2 to two at home, and then they go on the road and they give up a hat trick to Pedersen, lose 5-2 to two at Vancouver. Um, I got some thoughts on those games as well. Before we do any of that, though, of course, uh, tell everybody about what's going on at Nashville Hockey Now. Yeah, we got plenty of content up at Nashville Hockey Now. We're going to get into some analysis from last night, Tuesday night's game. We'll have that on there. Um, in our daily, we talk about Ryan O'Reilly and his milestone thousandth game. Uh, just kind of, for those of you that don't know the daily, we just kind of recap the, the biggest news in the NHL with the Predators and all the other teams. Um, Nick Keezer also has a story up on should the NHL mandate neck guards after the death of Adam Johnson. Uh, Scott Hartnell and Jay Moore, two former Predators players, kind of waited on that a little bit. Uh, Clay has a story up talking about the Shane Pinto suspension and why the NHL needs to clarify its gambling rules because they were basically like, we're suspending this guy for 41 games. Can't ask us about it. And this is all your all the information you're getting. Dude, little, it's so shady there. Yeah, it's it, it is. It's like a uh, like a Robert Ludlow mo- uh, novel. Like it, it's it. The whole story is super, super fun and interesting because of all the the, the NDAs that have been signed. I'm utterly fascinated with it. And I think there are some good guidelines to set on like, what do we think? How do we think the NHL should be handling gambling? Because look, here's the deal, folks. We're in Tennessee. Gambling's legal. It's like $10 million in, in like profit for these books every month. I mean, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars are bet every month in the state of Tennessee. So don't tell me that guys with lots of money, AKA players, young players are not, you know, actually gambling. So uh, we'll get into the rules. There's some differences between the rules and the NFL and how the NFL changed the rules because the NFL actually backtracked a little bit on this whole thing. So we'll get into a lot of that uh, today on the show. What, what What's going on with the lines is how we're going to start. Uh, some of these waiver wires, of course, um, you got Liam Foody and Sam Fagimo in the lineup now. Um, Thomas, Philip Tomasino got back in the lineup for, albeit the fourth line. So I want to get your thoughts on that. And again, some stats. But before we do any of that, last but not least, the gold standard is brought to you by our great and amazing and wonderful friends over at. That would be Jasper's. Yep. Damn right. Some great people over there. Damn right. It's Jasper's. You know how much Jasper's appreciates and loves and, and cares about Twitter? Probably zero. They got off. <laughs> One of the guys, <laughs> the marketing team and the owners, they got with me a couple of like, I don't know. This is like, a I don't know, eight months ago or whatever, like about, around the time that Elon bought it. And they were like, yeah, we're just deactivating our account on Twitter. It's honestly the way to go. If I didn't need it so much for work, because as, as much as it is a sewer of all things humanity, it is a great resource for finding breaking news because it's the only yeah. platform 
really that you can get up to date real time news updates from insiders, reporters, teams and such. And if it wasn't for that, I would I would delete Facebook and Twitter and I would never use social media probably ever. So I haven't tweeted about the Preds much. I don't really tweet about anything much because of exactly what you what you just said. But go to Jasper's, of course, everybody. Great place to go watch games, home and road Preds games. If you're a cord cutter, go to Jasper's. Great place to go watch games, free parking, great drink specials. The gold standard cocktail, a bourbon drink right there. Got the best air hockey table in the city. Free shuffleboard, free pop a shot, free giant connect for Jenga, the whole deal. Uh, it's a great place to go hang out. You guys, if you you've heard us talk about it for literally years, they are a proud partner of the Nashville Predators and a proud partner of this show. So go support local business, uh, a part of the Four Top Hospitality family, of course, Amerigo, Char, Etch, etc. A great group of restaurants here, locally owned and operated in Nashville. So go check them out. Uh, it's funny, we were talking about, uh, I'm not going to continue talking about Twitter. I'm going to make this about the Preds. But I did I did post on Wednesday because I was looking at the stats and while well, I was getting ready for the show. And I went through on my fantasy team and I went through and I looked at the, I thought the fastest way to organize all the former Preds <laughs> and tra- and track all their their scoring and track how they're doing this year was to go to my go to the player pool and like select all of them in the watch list to put them on my watch list. So I can just go to my fantasy team. I go into the watch list and I can pull up every current and former pred in the NHL and just kind of just to keep that group all in one place. It's not many places where you can get like Ryan Johansson, Matt Duchesne, Kevin Fiala, Victor Arvidsson, Tanner Janot, Matias Ekholm, Nito Niederreiter, Nick Bonino, you know, whatever, and put them all in one place. And I, I sent out this tweet and normally, again, thank you so much, Elon. Um, Colton Sissons, Colton Sissons currently has as many goals this season, five, which is one more than the last time we talked. As Ellie Tolvanen, Matt Duchesne, Kevin Fiala, Mikhail Granlund, and Nito Niederreiter have combined. I just want to point that out. I will continue to track Colton Sissons v. X Preds for the rest of the season. I'm glad to see that's the measuring <laughs> stick for Colton Sissons is how good are you compared to people that no longer play for this team? Leading scorer, Colton Sissons. That's all I'm saying. Now, uh, Kevin Fiala is having a great start to the season. He's already got like 11 assists or whatever. So his one goal is not that big a deal. Um, Tanner Chino is having a nice little start to the season. A couple goals, three assists. I did notice that. Ryan Johansson, four goals. I think that's the one that most people are probably like, okay, rooting for. Um, but I think it's, I thought it was funny that Ellie Tolvanen, Matt Duchesne, like a lot of these names that we put. And then, of course, you know, um, it just you put them all together and Colton Sissons. More goals than all of them combined. I just thought I'd put that out there. No response on Twitter, of course, because Elon Sewer sucks. But whatever. You have nothing. No, I'm trying to think of something witty or clever, but yeah, Colton Sissons, man. I mean, I, I what's funny is I think this he's on pace for what? This will be his third double-digit goal season. I think he's at 15. He's at 12. I don't think he's ever been up to 10 yet. Yeah, that's what we talked about last week. 15 and 12, and that's it. Yeah, he, it took gonna, him like forty something games last year to get it to get his fifth goal, and he's already got it nine games into this season. So whatever, good. whatever Andrew Burnett's doing with Colton Sissons is working. Maybe Colton Sissons is is to Andrew Burnett what Granlund was to John Hines. Maybe he's just the one player that oh. suddenly the coaching change comes in and takes off. Okay, okay. Um, all right. So uh, quickly here, what what? So Liam Foodie gets in. He plays like five minutes. I don't. What, what's the point of putting a guy into the lineup for like five minutes? I don't understand that. He plays five that, minutes. That whole fourth line in that game and the game he made his debut, they played like it was like five, seven, and seven minutes. Like it, I don't Very know strange. what the point was of even having them on the ice if they're going to see that little <laughs> ice time. 
So five minutes against Toronto. He then plays 13 minutes against Vancouver. He does have an assist. We mentioned we talked about Samuel Fagimo last year or last episode. Uh, he scores the goal in the power play on the backside there against San Jose. He plays nine minutes against Vancouver. DMP against Toronto. Eight minutes against Vancouver. Uh, then again, of course, as we talked about, uh, I've got some thoughts on the games themselves. But I just want, you know, Parson in has been struggling both on defense and since the start to the season, he's just not played at the same level that we're accustomed to seeing. He gets dropped down to the fourth line with Booty and Tomasino, but Tomasino does get some time. They they didn't play a whole lot in that game. Like I said, like you said, like five, six, seven minutes there. So I, I'm not sure. What, what, do, what do you make of grabbing these guys off the waiver wire? We talked about it last week. It's a good strategy. We like it in terms of upgrading talent and depth. But like plugging these guys in, moving Parson in around, like what do you make of what he's doing, Andrew Burnett, with the lineup? Yeah, I think it's I understand what he's trying to do. He hasn't found that consistent one or two lines that he can kind of roll with and keep there. We thought uh Forsberg, O'Reilly, and Parson on the top line was gonna be it. Um, and then just kind of and that's 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 a good thing and the bad thing about having interchangeability and having a lot of different players that have similar skill sets is doing stuff like that. And I think with Fagimo, the first game he played 12 and a half minutes, he had a goal, uh, four shots on goal. Then he played nine and a half minutes and eight and a half minutes. And again, in the two losses to Vancouver, one shot in those games. Again, we and we've talked about this over the last year and a half, however long I've been doing this podcast with you. This It was something that Ellie Tolvanen struggled with. It was something that a lot of other people struggled with too. It's if you change the lines... I understand the reasoning and wanting to change the lines, but if you're always changing the lines, you're not giving players ample time to build chemistry. And with someone like Fagimo, someone like Liam Foodie, who's only two games into to his tenure here, you need to be able to have time to build consistency. And like we talked about it last year when Ekholm said, it's going to take 30 games before he and McDonough have chemistry. I don't know if it takes 30 games for forwards. I think probably five, six, seven games before they start feeling it and, and gelling together. But that's that's the only thing that I'm a little weary about with with Brunette changing the lines as much as he has and just kind of moving places people around and changing pieces and stuff like that. I understand the willingness to to want to do that and not being married to a certain lineup, but if you don't leave players together for more than two or three shifts in a game or for more than one or two games in a row, it's going to be next to impossible to build chemistry, and that's something that I really worry about with this team. Well, and like I want to say, like, hey, what did we learn about Philip Tomasino? But like, I don't think we saw enough of him to have any judgments. Yeah, How I, are you going to know? The guy played yeah, five yeah. minutes, what, two nights ago? Yeah. He played five minutes, two games ago. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree. So uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. I, I think there's some really nice. <clears throat> I will say, if you are interested in Liam Foodie and what all he's done in the two games, the new NHL edge stuff, uh, everyone talks about how fast of a skater he is. His top skating speed the other night was 22.26 miles per hour, and he had six speed bursts over 20 miles per hour. So that's a little, a little fascinating if you want to go look at that. But other than his speed, he hasn't really done much. So, yeah, I think, well, I mean, again, you need time. So uh, I thought my big takeaway. So game against Toronto, three, two win. I thought was it, what was interesting is their they their response both times. They fall. They go down in the first period. They come back with and more importantly, with two power play goals. They come back. Ryan O'Reilly Riley scores a power play goal, uh, ties it back up at one kind of pretty much right, right after they give up the goal. They give up another goal. They're down two one in the second period. Ryan O'Reilly comes back and scores another goal to tie that game also on the power play. So coming, I, I like watching the t any team in, in hockey, like again, one game, not that big of a deal. Yossi scores the overtime winner. I've got a thought on that play as well. But when you, when you, when you see a team that, that is 
like fighting back from down a deficit and then they go down again and then they come back and then they figure out a way to win and collect that point I, that the first point and then the second point i think that's a especially against a very good offensive team i think it's a pretty good sign for that for the young players that are coming together and then i think the play to win the game now it's 3 on 3 so it's hard to really tell and i get that it's not real hockey at 3 on 3 but i love the sequence because it was tommy novak doing the dirty work on the boards it was Evangelista just with patience and skill and IQ, all the stuff we talk about with him. And then, of course, Yossi doing captain stuff to win the game. So I, I thought how that game played out, if I'm a fan, I'm very excited about how that game played out. Yes, it was at home. UC Saros played very well in that game. Like, you come back against Vancouver, you do not score power play goal. Uh, you give up a lead in the first period. Like it's a totally different type of game in that second game uh, against Vancouver. Since the last time we've been on with you guys, they're of course going to play a bunch of games uh, on this West coast road trip here. So I just wanted to get your thoughts watching those two games. Uh, they, they go even four and four, they fall back to four and five. As we said last week, it's going to be a, a roller coaster up and down from game to game. Yeah, I think uh, with the Vancouver game, that's also, um, point proven why Kevin Lincoln needs to play more and not just be sitting on the bench and start and getting a start every 10 starts. We've talked about kind of saving UC Saros yeah. and kind of not riding him into the ground. I think Kevin Lincoln needs to be playing a lot more. He he looked okay last night and look, the ice was weird. People, skaters were falling all over the place. The pucks were taking weird bounces. That first goal, there's nothing he could do about that. It just kind of yeah. took a weird bounce. He, he, he can't stop that, but Kevin Lincoln needs to be playing more because he did look a little bit rusty at times. And I think the Maple Leafs game and the Canucks game really showed um, kind of what a goalie on his game, a sharp goalie on his game can do compared to a goalie that's been sitting on the bench for 10 games. And this is his first action. So that's, that's one thing I noticed too. And then also against Toronto, like, yeah, Toronto outshot the Predators 35 to 24, but the Predators kind of, they made up for it in other areas. They out hit them 26 to 16, Faceoffs were were pretty even. They had 21 block shots and seven takeaways against the Canucks. They actually outshot the Canucks, but they got out hit. They lost the faceoffs 29 to 18. They only had 12 block shots. So I think that's just a microcosm of just when when things are going right, they do all the other little things right. When things are going wrong, they're having a hard time adapting. And I, the thing I've noticed, and Andrew Burnett's kind of alluded to this a little bit, they know how to play when the, when what they're want, when the plan they're trying to execute is actually unfolding they know how to play that well or they're starting to learn to play it well when other teams do to them what they want to do to other teams that's when they it kind of goes to hell and they kind of forget what they're doing defensive assignment assignments get blown defensive zone turnovers sloppy play in front of the net all that stuff so that's that's something i think that needs to be addressed is just kind of when things aren't going your way and when other teams are doing to you what you want to do, you need to figure out a way to, to kind of stop that from happening. Because as we saw last night, Pedersen with a hat trick, you lose 5-2. Things can go off the rails really quickly. What, what do you make of the shot thing? Because that was one of the things we talked about in the first four games. They averaged 37 shots a game in the first four games. In the last three, they've only averaged 23 shots. So I don't I don't like their, their expected goals is still top 10. I think they're seventh in the NHL and expected goals four. There's a gap there, of course, between their actual sco- actual scoring and their expected, which is you know pretty normal from a from a metric standpoint. I- anything to make of that shot thing? I mean, that's a that's a big that's a big gap. Thirty seven per game down to twenty three per game. That's a pretty. I mean, they've played some really good offenses. So I have I have a I think there's more to discuss on the defensive side, but because you know Saros has been better, 
what do you make of the shot discrepancy there? Yeah, I think again, we're only nine games into this, so we probably need a few more games before you can form like an actually well-informed opinion about this, but just kind of based off of what I've seen, and I don't have like the exact heat maps in front of me, but I think that's a credit to taking better shots from better areas of the ice, as opposed to just winging the puck on net from like wherever you are. And that, that might be something that's a difference between Heinz's system and Burnett's system. With, with Heinz, there wasn't really an offensive philosophy. It was just kind of shoot it whenever you have the puck. With Brunette, I think they're using timing. They're using spacing. They're trying to set plays up more. They're trying to – there's more design. There's more uh, – plays are more well thought out. So I think they're being a little bit more intentional with kind of their shot selection now than they were last year. And I think that's something that, again, I don't know if it's going to hold up over the entirety of the season. It's hard to right. imagine them doing 23 shots per game over the season. But – I think that's something as they're figuring out a new offense, as the lineup is changing, as there's different forwards coming in and out of the lineup and stuff like that. I think that's something to to kind of watch is where are these shots coming from? Because like you could throw Victor Arvidsson out there and he could take four or five shots in one shift, or you could have things running the way they are now where you spend an entirety of a shift and you pass it probably seven, eight, nine, ten 10 times. And you have one shot. Is that one shot a better quality than the four shots that Arvidsson would have had stuff like that. So I think that's something to kind yeah. of watch. At least that's what I've noticed. No, I think that's true. Also, they got completely dominated in the faceoff circle against Vancouver uh, yeah. on Tuesday night, and they are 22nd in the NHL in faceoffs. That's one of a like so, sort of a hallmark of Predators hockey is they almost always have been very good in the dot, and I think that's going to be interesting to keep an eye on because it or wasn't like Ryan Johansson at yeah, and it wasn't like fifty. It wasn't like fifty two forty eight. I think it was like sixty two thirty eight uh, against Vancouver. It was a uh, they they got mauled in the faceoff circle. So that's exactly it, what it was. They're going to have to be better than that. Uh, I want to get into... So the other thing that happened against Vancouver was they gave up a power play goal um, uh, on the penalty kill. H- here are the numbers so far for all special teams. At time of taping, they are 12th in the NHL at 21% on the power play, 38 opportunities. That is third in the NHL. So they are getting opportunities, and they are top 12 in scoring. I think if that's where they finished in the NHL, uh, as we said last week, I think fans would be ecstatic about that. Uh, currently on the penalty kill. Now, this is going to be a compliment sandwich because I just said something positive about the power play. The penalty kill currently (laughs) 68.9%, almost very nice, 30th in the NHL, uh, and of course, 29 power penalty kill opportunities. That's 22nd in the NHL. So they're not taking a ton of penalties, but they are not stopping anybody. Six out of their nine games, they have given up a power play goal, and three times they've given up multiple power play goals here's the thing though and this is what's weird they are among the best teams in the nhl defensively in five on five hockey like like among the best teams they are fourth in goals allowed right now in five on five hockey the the, the, all the metrics say that they are one of the best defensive teams five on five hockey Uh, they are especially considering the system that brunette wants to play which is about pushing the puck and you know how people get out of you know they're young and they get out of positioning and we've talked a lot about that that that's going to lead to some counterattacks but like basically 5 on 5 they've been a top 10 defensive team if not better and but the penalty kill like what are we what are what are we doing is uh, like i don't know what to say about how good this team has been 5 on 5 defense and then compared to the penalty kill which is just absurd i, I don't know what what do you make of the discrepancy there yeah, this is something that I've kind of went back and forth about in my head, too. I think it's going to be something that Dan Hino, who runs the the penalty kill, is going to have to address. And I think the way to do it, just 
the most logical explanation is to change up who your penalty killers are. I mean, looking at the defense specifically, most of the time it's it's one of you have McDonough usually as the the quarterback, if you will, on the penalty kill. And then you have either Lozon or Carrier, sometimes Fabro in there. And then that's kind of what you're rolling with. I think Shen in the very first game uh, played a lot on the, on the penalty yeah. kill. Yeah, You need to change up your, at least the defense, but you need to change up your penalty killers. Maybe McDonough, maybe you don't put him out there for three or four minutes of shorthanded time each game. Maybe you work Dante Fabro in there. Dante Fabro is someone who we have defended on the show. He gets a lot of unnecessary hate, and he's actually probably statistically, as far as defensive assignments go, I think he might be one of the Predators' better-rated defensemen this year. Maybe you give him some more pe- uh, penalty kill time. Maybe you work carrying in there some more. Maybe instead of relying on Tyson Berry to go out and run your power play, maybe you put him on the penalty kill. I don't think you're going to see Roman Yossi there. But also, too, look at some of the forwards that they're using. Oh, excuse me. Look at some of the forwards that they're using specifically on the penalty kill. Ryan O'Reilly, I think it's necessary to have him out there. Colton yeah. Sissons, yeah. Cole Smith, Yakov Trenin. Like, those are some of the guys... I, I'm not sure. I haven't studied the penalty kill that much, but maybe you switch up some of the forwards too. Maybe you move positioning around. I, I don't really know what the answer is. It's kind of like last year. We didn't have an answer for the power play, but the most logical explanation is to change up who you have out there. Uh, McDonough leads leads the team on average time mm-hmm. of the penalty kill, three minutes, 25 seconds. Carrier's number two. Cole Smith, Luke Shen, of course, obviously, as you mentioned, over two minutes there. I, I really don't... I, I agree with you. Change out the personnel is, is, is an option here, but... I mean, when you're ranked 30th out of 30, 32 teams, you got to do something. Well, like Carrier's maybe the one that I would like. I, I w- I'm not sure. Our, my instincts tell me not to take McDonough off the ice during the penalty kill. That that my instincts aren't aren't to add Tyson Berry to the mix because he's a. Uh, but I don't know what like maybe more time like Lozon's only playing 123, so maybe you want to switch Carrier and Lozon. Like I don't know. I'm trying to figure out. I, I don't want to take O'Reilly, Sissons, Trennan. Like those guys, Cole Smith, you know, those guys are there. Maybe Cole Smith's the guy you need to, to bring out. And Kiefer Sherwood with his, you know, the, the the way he plays the game, you move him out there. Honestly, I would I would look at probably putting Parson on the penalty kill more. He's someone who is very underrated defensively, and I feel like he's really kind of developed and grown in that area, especially over the summer, what we saw in training camp. And you talk about how fast food he is. Put him out there on the penalty kill. That, that was one of the things that some of his coaches said about him when I was doing research when the Predators claimed him was he can be an asset on the penalty kill because his speed frustrates opposing players. Throw him out there, see what happens. I mean, change, change. I'm not saying go out there and just take right, all right, four right. of your normal penalty killers and switch them, but maybe work some different guys in with different different looks and stuff and see what's going on. I agree. You probably don't want to take McDonough off the penalty kill, but maybe you give him a couple different partners yeah. as opposed to just sticking him always out there with Carrier. I, I'm not sure. Parsonen has not been good this season so far, so I'm not sure Parson is the guy. Novak is another guy that you could move up and put him on the penalty kill. If you, I mean, that guy works. The, the, I want somebody who's physical, who works, and is going to make plays in the dirty areas. And I, I trust Tommy Novak to do that. By the way, Kiefer Sherwood, number one Corsi score on the penalty kill, plus thirty nine <laughs> uh, on the team right now. He's again, he's only played like twenty seconds or something. Um, but Jeremy Lozon's got a really high Corsi score on the penalty kill, and Alex Carrier does not. That that be that that might be a switch there. It's Lozon and Carrier, and then either Sherwood and Novak in for uh, again. I, Cole Smith has been fine. Uh, Rhino Riley, maybe you want to take his his him off because I, I I don't know what to think. I don't know what to do here. I, I it's it's bizarre that they have been so effective in five on five and so ineffective on the penalty kill. So just stop taking penalties, yeah. which actually they're not taking a ton of penalties, which makes it even more painful 
because they're only they've only taken 29 penalties. It's 22nd in the NHL. Like they're 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 a bottom third PIM team. And I just it's it's very strange to be that good on five on five and that questionable. Um, and I assume that's their pace. And t- I, here's what I would guess: their pace and their tempo is is doing the job in in limiting defensive zone time. Maybe that's what I need to be looking up from a metric standpoint. Yeah. I mean, and maybe that's something they need to work on too. Maybe it's not switching up the personnel per se. Maybe it's just switching up kind of the plan of attack, if you will, on the penalty kill. Maybe you up the pressure a little bit more. Maybe you try to attack the puck a little bit more. Maybe you try to force some more puck battles. Maybe you try to engage more along the boards. Maybe you try to force some more shots from outside because that's that's something I've noticed a lot is they give up a lot of high danger chances, specifically either from the crease or directly in front of the crease. Like those are all things that have to be addressed and be eliminated. So maybe it's maybe it's not necessarily a personnel issue, like 100%. Maybe you keep some of those guys and maybe you, like you said, you you put Tommy Novak out there or something like that. Or maybe you yeah. take yeah. Carrie away and you, and you put, you know, I forgot who he said, someone else on the lows on Lo, lows on you. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you do that and you just kind of switch up the plan of attack. And maybe you, maybe you take your offensive philosophy on your defense too. And you bring the fight to them and they have the puck. You go and you engage with them right away. I mean, there's all sorts of things they can do to figure it out. Whatever. Yeah. The one thing they need to do is watch the tape and whatever they've been doing, do the opposite. <laughs> just stop doing that. Lo, Lozon and Fabro both plus 20 in their relative course. He scores in, in, in shorthanded situations, Alexander Carrier minus 22 so uh, huge gaps there largely and, and mcdonough's n- number is not all that great as well negative 14 but i i don't like mcdonough's a guy i just think you need to have out there so well he's trying maybe, to carry the penalty kill by himself right, basically right so. Ex- exactly so uh, and again getting luke shen back i think will be helpful in that situation so i think that's a that's a possibility too is that if and when that happens that could be a boost to the penalty kill but i think there's maybe, also maybe a- mark del is the answer there you go. There's also a that's true called up uh, could be making his debut any day now. So we'll keep an eye on that. Cody Glass, by the way, as reported by National Hockey Now onto IR. So he's his first game back can be uh, I believe it's November 6th is the first game back more likely to come back later than that. Uh, but I do think there's a major takeaway from the fact that this is a team that right now is 11th in goals allowed in terms of total total defense and is five on five amongst the best teams in the NHL on defense. And I think that's a positive you can take away. The four and five record is what it is. The up and down game in game out consistency is going to be an issue. We, we told you about that. Uh, to me, there there's some really positive signs about their five on five hockey right now, because again, the expected goals on offense has been pretty high and their five on five defense has been pretty solid. So work on that special teams boys. And uh, as usual, <laughs> things might work out. Yeah, I mean, you look at what we were talking about last year. The special teams weren't working out. Five on five also didn't look very pretty. At least now they it seems like they have the five on five figured out. Yeah. That That's at least step one. Now you can work on, I mean, Andrew Burnett has taken um, ownership of the power play. Seems like he, some of the stuff he's doing is working. Some of it's not. I think he'll eventually get it figured out. I think the penalty kill will eventually get figured out too. It looks really bad because they are 30th right now, but I think eventually that that's something that will come with time. They'll get that all figured out. But I think it's at least you want to talk about some some positives, some momentum to build off of or whatever. The, the five on five looks good. So that that's at least step one. Take yep. a breath. The rest will come. 
All right, what do you? Uh, I know you guys broke the news. Um, I want to get your thoughts on this quickly with with Cody Glass. Um, how serious do you guys think that November 11th is when they get back from the road trip? They'll play Seattle on Thursday, Edmonton on Saturday, Calgary on Tuesday. They'll be back in uh, in the in Bridgestone Arena for November 11th. Do you think that's a possibility for Cody Glass to make his return at that point? Or um, again, we're always speculating here with lower body, upper body stuff. But uh, your thoughts on where Cody Glass may end up uh, coming off IR? Yeah, I think with with Cody Glass, it's kind of the again the NHL is kind of notoriously plays everything close to the vest when it comes to injury stuff. They they haven't shed any light on anything. I've been told that it's a knee injury, not really a foot or an ankle injury, um, and just kind of piecing together what I've speculation on my part from what I saw and what I've heard. I think it was it was something along the lines of he tweaked his knee, um, heavily ice and and rest it. And there was probably a lot of bruising and swelling and stuff. And he needed longer than the seven to 10 days that he was initially given. Um, obviously, if you're putting him putting him on IR, he's he's going to miss at least one to two more weeks. You call up someone else because you need to fill that roster spot. So I don't think it's severe in the sense that it's going to be like he's going to miss half the season or anything. But I do think it's something to worry about and monitor just because he is a pretty integral piece of the top six. You're hoping he's going to be your second line center. Um, obviously dealing with a knee injury and stuff that's going to affect his mobility and his movement and his speed and everything when he comes back. So I think it is, it is something to keep an eye on. I think if it was something that was severe, we kind of, we would have gotten more news like Luke Shen where they said four to six week timetable. The fact that just yeah. a one to two week timetable, I don't think it's anything, anything terribly, you know, terrible to worry about. Um, they do I, call I, up Mark Del Gaizo. Well, quick, quickly on glass. I do think it, it's, it's extremely unfortunate timing. Because what you really needed from a guy, and this is why I think the Parson and struggles are a concern. Like, I, you need to see the, like, this is why Tommy Novak playing well out of the gate, Luke Evangelista playing well out of the gate. Like, you need these guys to build on what they did last year, show a little confidence. They don't have to be great. You don't have to win a bunch of games. That's not what I'm expecting of this team. But you want to see some success and so that they, they can build on that. And that like that more as many as any of as, as much excuse me as any of these guys Cody Glass is a guy that needed a really sturdy start it doesn't have to be hot it doesn't have to be great you don't have to score a ton of goals but like you needed a guy to play consistently get top line num- number two center minutes and to be consistently in the lineup continue to build what you saw at the end of last year so of all the guys one of the most unfortunate and unlucky to get this season started that way is Cody Glass all that disappears if he's back in, in a couple of days, three or four games, he comes back, he gets back into the lineup, finds his footing, and then s- starts again. It's all going to be fine. But I I have so much more trust right now today. I know it's just nine games in Evangelista and Novak because of what I've seen. And and that that it's hard to continue to buy into glass when he's injured like that. And so I, he should be fine, but like yeah, not many no, play, not many players are as that, that that guy needed a good start to the season. And well, I don't disagree with what you said. I would also playing devil's advocate. It's I, I would argue it's better to happen six, seven games into the season than happen in game 75. No, it's you'd true. rather if, if something like this happens, you'd rather it happen now before he got going, got hot, you know, whatever. And then ended up derailing it and, and losing some of his confidence because of that. So although I would games, say, although game 75, if they're not making the playoffs, eh, it's just an early summer. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you listen to everything this team says, they think that they can fight for a playoff spot. So, but I, but I do agree with what you're saying. He he is someone that I don't want to say he has to prove himself, but he is someone that kind of needed to get off to a, a fast start. 
and kind of show what he's been working on over the summer, show those signs of development that everyone's been talking about. But I don't really have any worries just because of what I saw during during training camp, kind of what Andrew Burnett's been saying and some of the other players. Like I, I think Cody Glass is in a is in a good position. And I think I think this whole one to two additional one to two weeks of putting him on IR, I think it's more precautionary. Like he could probably come back and play sooner if they needed him to. But there's why why rush it? Also, I think another byproduct of that is too, it gives you I don't think that the Predators would have claimed Liam Foodie had Cody Glass not gotten hurt. I think this is mm. I think you claim Liam Foodie. You you use the two or three weeks that Glass is going to be out. You put him in the lineup, see what you have, and then if Glass comes back and you're not sold on him, you know what? You put him on waivers, and maybe another team claims him. And you don't have to worry about him. If if another team doesn't claim him, he goes to Milwaukee. Then you can develop him in your system, and maybe he contributes next year. So it, it, that was kind of a win win for the Predators here. But yeah, again, I don't think it's I don't think the injury is anything to worry about. I think Glass will come back and he'll fit right back in where he was. And the good thing is you have Tommy Novak that can step in and play a number two center role do it well, score goals. So they're not, it's not really hurting them right now, but the longer that if you, if we get to two more weeks out and then, you know, Cody glass is still injured and he's not coming back yet, then I would say worry, but. Leading goal scorer on the team. Number two center, Colton Sissons. Just remember, just remember, uh, Del Gaizo, are we going to see a debut? Are we going to see the solo lap here soon? I, I think you got to. I don't know why you would call the kid up from Milwaukee where he's probably one of your top two or three defensemen down there and, and not have him playing just to sit on the bench. I just because Cody Glass is injured. I feel like there's other guys you could have called up for that. I, I don't know if he plays. Um, I don't know if he plays in the next game against Seattle or, or Edmonton, maybe Calgary, Winnipeg. Like those are the next four games on the road trip. I think you're going to see him in at least one of those games. I don't know which one. But yeah, I mean, he's someone who was he was the very last cut of training camp right before the regular season. They kept him on the roster longer than they did Spencer Stastny and Livingstone and some of the other guys that, that played in the NHL last year. Um, and he's, he's got a little bit of offensive upside. He's not like Roman Yossi level with the offense, but he can, he can be a point contributor. Um, and I, I do think he's someone that could be beneficial to have in the lineup. And if you're not sold on, on Carrier or Fabro, which I think Fabro's pre- played pretty well, um, or Lozon, whoever, you know, we talked about all three of those guys that, that were kind of on the roster bubble. If one of them has a bad game, you have the the luxury of putting Mark Delgaizo in. I think he's earned it. Um, he's 24, so he's kind of getting to that that age where he's almost not <laughs> yeah. quite a prospect, but he hasn't made it to the NHL. So I, I think you're gonna see him in at least one of the one of the games, probably um up in Canada. Maybe he gets two games, but I don't I don't think I think this is more so just like call him up, let him play a game or two, and then send him back down when they're, when the roster's full. But he's absolutely someone that deserves it. So maybe he has a really good game, and I think he's someone to keep an eye on because I do think he's close to NHL ready. And maybe if yeah. by the end of the year, someone, one of the defensemen struggling or someone gets traded or something like that, like I think I think the guys that's got dibs on the first spot once one comes open. Uh, they'll play Seattle on Thursday, Edmonton Saturday, Calgary Tuesday. That's the, the road trip there. Um I think if they if they were to win, honestly, I'd I'd play him against Calgary. I don't I don't know if you want to have him make his NHL debut against Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, and <laughs> Seattle's got a pretty fast paced, high powered offense as well. I don't know if you want to put him into those two games, but I don't think Calgary is really a team to worry about. So maybe you you give him a softball for his NHL debut. Yeah, a lot of those players off to a slow start for Calgary. What do you want to see Lincoln in here in in some of these games before the next time we get together next week? I, I think I, I'm with you on. You know, you got to give a guy reps if you want him to be ready to go. And and so it would be a little out of character to throw him out there since they have days of rest. 
But I mean, I don't know. Like maybe, maybe you do you sacrifice him at the altar of Connor McJesus? Like, is that what you is that what you're doing with Kevin poor Kevin Lagan? I mean, I don't know. I guess it just depends on how the Predators view wins and losses at this point of the season. If if it was if it were up to me, I would play him against either Calgary or Winnipeg. Because out of the out of the four your four next opponents, those are probably the two you're not as worried about as Seattle and Edmonton. Um, but that means that, but that means UC Saros is going to go a whole week without playing, right? Like Saturday to Saturday. Do you want that? I mean, I think the guy needs it, man. He's he's played the most yeah. minutes of the most games out of anyone over the last like three years. Maybe I mean, maybe you you play him against Edmonton, and then you have Saros. I I don't know. I I, I don't see any way Saros isn't starting again against Arizona on November 11th when they come back their first game at home after the road trip. Yeah, I I just I I don't know. I would I would. If it were me, I would play Lincoln in against either Calgary or Winnipeg. Maybe you do it against Calgary so that way Saros plays against Winnipeg and then he has Arizona, so he's not sitting for a long amount of period of time. But I don't know. It, it's, a, it's, here, a, it's a tough call because they don't have as many back-to-backs this year as they used to. So here's some numbers con- to consider. Um UC Saros, eight eighty-eight career save percentage, three point three goals per game and seven starts against Seattle. So not good against Seattle. Excellent in over his career against Winnipeg, 2.33 with a 9.32 save percentage there. So very, very good against Winnipeg. Because I, I was thinking alternate, right? Like go Saros against Seattle and then Calgary and go Lincoln in against Edmonton and Winnipeg. But it looks like based on these numbers and actually Saros, 9.16 save percentage and a 3.06 against Edmonton. Obviously, he's going to want to get back out there. He played terribly against them, got pulled last time and his numbers against Calgary very good as well 929 242 maybe you play maybe you go Lincoln and back out there right away with Seattle and then alternate Lincoln in Seattle go UC Saros against Edmonton Lincoln in Calgary and then bring UC Saros back for Winnipeg and try to finish the road trip strong i think if you get if you get two if you go 2 and 4 if you go 2 3 and 1 2 3 and 1 i think would be ideal if you can get a if you can get a split somewhere Again, I I just think expectation for this team needs to be managed. So I'm I'm thinking, you know, two three and one is fine for this team in this situation at this part of the season on this road trip. Yeah, I mean, as as long as you get at least two wins out of your next four games, yeah. If, if, heck, if you even want to count Vancouver last night, two wins out of out of those five games, I think you're doing okay. Yep. Just because this this isn't the way they're playing right now. They're too inconsistent. They're trying to figure out a new offensive system. They're trying to work out the kinks defensively and on the penalty kill. You have just everything going on in front of the net and the way that they're playing in front of the goal. So uh, there, there's a lot of moving parts to the way this team is constructed right now. So I, again, manage expectations. But I think if you can get two wins out of the next four games, you're, you're doing okay. I, I think Calgary should be a win. And I think either Seattle or Winnipeg, one of those two could be a win. I, I'm not sure you have okay. enough firepower to beat Edmonton. Um, maybe you catch McDavid on a night. He's got the flu or something. I don't know, but, or I guess it would be dry sidle because he's the, he's the Preds killer. But I, I think two wins is, is doing pretty good. If you can get more than that, that's icing on the cake. But it, I, I mean, I mean, maybe if you want to make things easier on Saros, you give Lincoln in the Edmonton game. I mean, I, I'm not sure you want to, you want to loosen his load. You want to make sure that he's not starting and playing as much as he has the last two years, but also like, he he's even said he wants to play as much as possible. Pecorini was the same way. Yeah, he wants yeah. to play as many games and play him as much as you want, but you kind of need to save him from himself at that point. So, all right, go to Jasper's everybody. If you want to watch those games, uh, please just come back to Nashville and play at regular times. <laughs> like if we could just get, we could just get some seven o'clock start times from here on out for a while. That'd be nice. No um, more eight thirty start times at home either. 
Eight thirty home brutal. start time. What are we doing? Um, uh, all right, go to Jasper's, of course, if you want to watch that any was of these the, games. The frozen frenzy night. Yes, it was. Uh, go to Jasper's, of course, if you are a cord cutter and you don't have the games and you want to watch. Jasper's is your spot. Free parking, game day specials for Preds games. During those games, they got bingos on Thursday nights. Obviously, the Preds play a lot of games on Thursday night. They got bingo on Thursday nights every other Thursday night. They got the game room, great beer, great food. The menu is awesome. So uh, you guys know the deal. Go to Jasper's, everybody. Something I um, never hear you say during these these plugs is just go to Jasper's if you're hungry. If you are hungry, go to, hungry go, to, go to Jasper's. You don't have to go there if you want to watch the Preds. I mean, you should, but you don't have to go there just to watch the Preds. Look at that. Took you a year and you contributed something to the ad read. How about that? Go me. <laughs> are you done for the year? Is that it? I'm not going to get anything else out of you the rest of the way. I don't know. We'll see. Um, okay, so I want to. I, I don't have a ton to add. So, one of my major questions about the Adam Johnson tragedy, if you have not, if you don't, I can't believe anybody that listens to this show doesn't already know what took place. Where, but, but I, I think one of the questions I have is, and I, when I first saw the news, I, I really was hesitant to do the old Twitter search. You know what I mean? Like, I was really hesitant to go to Twitter, search the name, and find the video. Now, the the newspaper sort of journalistic person inside of me always, almost always wins out and says, no, I need to see it to understand what took place and to know what happened, not in a gratuitous way at all, but to accurately do the job of reporting on X, Y, or Z. If, you know, war, if you're, if you're reporting on the war, you need to see the, the, the horrific, you know, footage and photos. If you're reporting on an injury, you need to see the injury. You don't need to be gratuitous about it. I think TV's actually gotten very good, in football in particular. They'll show you the replay one time, the leg breaks, and then they don't show you again. And I think that that used to be where they would just show you the Joseph, you know, they show you the injury over and over and over again. But I think we've had a lot of, you know, in light of things like school shootings, like, do you want to see the, 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 the videos if they're out there? Um, I tend to go with yes, personally. So I eventually sought out the video. And, and I don't think we need to be publicly shaming any reporter for posting it as long as you post it in a journalistic way with sort of a very, very large disclaimer. Because the video itself, if you've not seen it, is not all that gratuitous. And, and what I learned in watching that is my first reaction is how the why the hell did that guy throw his leg up that high? Like that's just yeah. beyond beyond ridiculous to like to be skating by. Like you see the goal, you've seen the one in the past with the goaltenders, right? Where like you know you're going, you're in a battle, two guys are battling, and a guy goes upside down, and the skate comes up and hits a goaltender, and it just is incredibly freakish and unlucky. And then we've seen that happen. It's unfortunate. It's terrible. It's a tragedy. But we've seen it happen. This was totally like I almost I'm like, what what's this guy doing? Like I was totally weirded out by that part of it. And I don't I don't I have not read any comments by him, so I don't want to be irresponsible here. And, and then the one gratuitous part, of course, is when he's skating off and it's quick. It's like seconds, right? It, it, before it cuts off and you can see the how much blood is actually there. So there's one part of this which is are we gonna see some rule changes? Is this just a freak tragedy that, unfortunately, people get hurt playing sports and it's just tragic and we can't really do anything about it? Do we expect the NHL to actually do anything? There's Is there an investigation into what this other player did? And then I really I find the more interesting conversation is 
is sort of like what is appropriate to report on what do you the audience you the fans want to see like I, I don't know i feel like we should all make up our own minds on that i guess I, I don't know what do you think yeah i think as a as a reporter and the journalistic side of me i tend to agree with you i i do tend to seek out not like seek out but i do tend to want to watch what happened for myself um before i make a a judgment or a decision on, on what happened because there there are some times where you hear something it's like oh this person was attacked or something like that and then really you watch the video and you're like oh that's not that bad like sometimes people tend to over sensationalize things when they're describing something that they're offended by or something that it was traumatic to them um i i do agree the video that i saw it it wasn't as bad as i initially thought it was going to be when i heard about the incident and then i finally watched it uh that being said sharing it on twitter i i i I understand if you're a journalist and your intentions behind it are purely just out of like the news part of the story but also twitter like the videos automatically play so if you're scrolling through you're yeah. you're kind of subjecting someone to watching something if they didn't want to see it so i That's i true. tend to i tend to i understand why people would share it but i i tend to side with like maybe don't do it on a platform where videos automatically play and you could possibly make someone watch something they don't want to watch or could could traumatize them in any way so and it's tough man i mean you hear something like this yeah obviously you hear you know a player gets slashed in the neck with a skate blade you kind of understand basically what happened but i think it it's kind of it's a it's a different animal when you actually see it happen and watch the actual video from the incident so it's it's a tough call um i i, I probably i us at our us at hockey now we have a a house policy not to share the video not to include clips of it or anything like that we can talk about it and write about it but we're, we're not going to share videos and stuff like that and i think it's also a little bit respectful to the player you know a, a player lost his life it's an unfortunate incident i i don't think i don't know what the guy's name is but i don't think that the player that kicked his leg up there i don't i don't think he was trying to like seriously hurt adam johnson but i understand like the way that the play unfolded and the way it looks like it looked like he was there was some ill intent behind it and stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that sucks and it's just, you hate to even be talking about it and just all this stuff. But I do, I do know um, Greg Wyshynski, I think like 20, 30 minutes ago, tweeted out a story, the NHLPA and the NHL, they're talking about maybe uh, mandating neck usage of neck guards for players and stuff. And Gary Bettman um, said, whether it's something that's like mandated directly or kind of phased in, it's something that they're definitely talking about. They want to make sure that players are safe. Um, if you read the daily this morning on Nashville Hockey Now, Pittsburgh and New Jersey have mandated their uh, AHL and ECHL players to wear neck guards. Um, and I actually talked to a spokesperson for the Predators right before or right before we started recording this podcast, and I was told that the NHL, um, it's a the the gear that the players are wearing. It's a player it's a player decision. The NHL can't make them wear stuff like that, although the the Predators players do have access to things like neck guards. They're encouraged if they want to wear them to go ahead and do so. Um, and I've been told that this is something that possibly could be worked into the next collective bargaining agreement. Yeah. Um, that this become part of the uniform or this becomes something that is mandated to avoid incidents like this happening again. And and statistically, the probability of this happening to somebody is, I mean, it is, we're talking extremely low. Yeah, I mean, you're I talking mean, three I mean, or like four you, players in the history of, of the NHL that yeah, have had this yeah. happen. Them, you, so. you, you get in your car and you're doing something more dangerous than 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 this particular thing that we're talking about, <clears> which, again, doesn't change the tragedy for the family and the player and everything. And going kind of wrapping up your point, I think what you guys are doing is the right thing to do. 
I, I don't think anybody who's just a fan, if y'all are out there sharing this stuff, then you're doing it just to make it about you. And yeah, and I would say, and I would say that about anything, like uh, any issue that happens in your c- community or your favorite sports team, if you are out there like having comments about these types of things that are pretty serious for cert- a certain group of people that are close to a story, you're you're just making it about you at that point. So I think it's different if you covered the Penguins or you covered, I guess, is, is it an English team? He was playing in an English league, I guess. Like yeah. it, it, if you cover the team, putting out a story or putting out the video is one thing. I, and that's all I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about anybody else. Like I don't think anyone in the Nashville media should be sharing it. I don't think fans should be sharing it. Um, but I, but again, I thought I, I just wanted to have a conversation because I don't think it's fair for me to talk about it, have an opinion, do the work without, without looking. And I think there's a lot of newspaper people that are editors who will tell you the job is to look, the job is to watch so that everyone else doesn't have to. And I know that feels kind of weird, but like that, that is kind of where I fell on it. And then after I watched it, I, I kind of had some different reaction to it than I expected. And so, um, not I mean, tragic either way, no, no matter what, of course. So I just yeah, thought that I, was... I would, I would just throw in there, just when you, if you are sharing the video, be respectful and be mindful that there is a player that died in the situation. He has a family, he has friends, he has teammates. There's a lot of, there's a lot more than just the one person affected by this. So if you're, if you're sharing it, which I wouldn't advise, but if you are, do it for the right reasons and just make sure that you're being respectful because this is a delicate situation. Um, I don't know if there are any right reasons on this one, man. Uh, if you're just a regular hockey fan and you're, sh- cause here's what happens when you share something, what, what happens is if people are pissed off that you're sharing it, which is a pretty normal reaction in this situation, that's going to drive it up even further. So like, it, like it's, it, if you get a big reaction out of sharing this, that's going to make it even more. It's going to get it even more attention. I, I, you guys know how social media works. So it's just, um, yeah. I, I think I think if you are the reporter for the Penguins who used to cover him or a reporter that's covering the team specifically and you post it with a lot of disclaimers, that's fine. I think everybody else, y'all can just just you don't have to be a part of it. You don't have to make it about you. You don't have to be a part of it. I I I, I found the social media conversation almost as interesting as the net guard conversation because it's just such a it's so freakish and low percentage that it's just it's not something that feels like should be this huge concern, but at, right after it happens, you're just like, Oh my God, I can't believe that happened. So um, yeah. I mean, pl- players play in NFL football all the time and they almost end up multiple guys have ended up, ended up paralyzed and and can't do anything. Like I've worked with Eric Legrand, you know what I mean? The Rutgers football player. I've worked with him for years and great attitude, nice kid, but like, can't, can't move, you know, you can barely walk. So um, we've had the same conversation about, you know, visors and cages and stuff like that. Players don't think yeah. anything up until they take a puck to the face. And next thing you know, they're like, well, why wasn't I wearing a visor this entire time? Yeah. So yeah, stuff um, like this happens. All right. We'll wrap up here with the Shane Pinto story real quickly here. And that's 41 game suspension. And it is the ins and outs of this story are hard to track. Uh, Nashville hockey now has got a great one. So go check it out there. Um, and so it's, he's under, he's in a contract negotiation period. <laughs> he is suspect. Tell me if I'm getting any of these facts wrong because it's hard to follow. He's in a contract negotiation n- negotiation. So he so he's not active. Technically, he's not active. So he's negotiating with Ottawa. He is he is busted, quote unquote, busted, investigated somehow for gambling. But it's definitely not on hockey, which is the only rule, right? NHL. The only rule in the rule book for the NHL is can't gamble on hockey. <laughs> basically, cannot gamble on your own team or other teams in the league. 
The NFL's policy, which just changed, was you can't gamble on anything in the NFL, but you also cannot gamble in team facilities. And the Tennessee Titans left tackle or right right tackle, now left tackle, Nicholas Petit Ferrer was suspended six games for gambling on like a soccer game, but he did it like in the Titans parking lot. And so the yeah. NFL is the NFL has kind of scaled that back and made it a four game suspension because they were like, oh, that was a little too punitive because everybody in Tennessee is gambling because it's legal and there's nothing wrong. He did nothing illegal. He didn't affect the integrity of the game. So the NFL was pulling it back a little bit. The NHL, I think, is the right rule. You cannot gamble on the NHL. That's it. If you want to gamble on anything else, that's fine. So then we get into this weird territory of like, like, like surrogate gambling. Where like he's either maybe he's placing a bet for someone else or someone else is placing a bet for him. There are there are in non-disclosure agreements that have been signed by him and the NHLPA and the league. Nobody can yeah. say anything about anything. But I guess what matters is the 41 games, even though he's not under contract, is counting right now. This whole thing yeah. is this whole thing is bonkers, man. The NHL just they look like complete asses right now with the way they're handling this because First of all, you, you lose all credibility when you suspend a player for gambling and that player, whenever he's skating on the ice, has a patch on his jersey that has BetMGM on it. And there's <laughs> BetMGM and Caesar Sportsbooks and DraftKings like logos for all these sports books on the boards in the ice rink that he's playing in. It's just it's stupid. You have official betting partners of the NHL, but you have players that are getting 41 game suspensions. and You're not telling us why. OK, OK. Hang on. If he gambled on the NHL, then I don't give a shit what what patches on his shoulder. Pad. Well, he, he hasn't gambled on the NHL. I think no, that, I, know, I know. I think that's something that was made clear was he didn't actually break any rules. And that's that's what makes this whole thing completely <laughs> asinine is the NHL basically has come out and said, look, he didn't break any rules, but he's accepted a 41 game suspension. He signed a non-disclosure agreement. We can't talk about it. He can't talk about it. Case closed. But you go to BetMGM, everybody. <laughs> yeah, you can't come out and say, hey, this player didn't yeah. break any rules, but he's accepting a suspension for breaking rules, and you can't talk about it. This is, this is we live in a world and a society of transparency. And <laughs> no, to, to we, no, do we this, don't. No, we don't. Well, okay, not, not, <laughs> let me rephrase that. We live where transparency is demanded and expected, not always given. We, we should live in a society of transparency. We do not, <laughs> but it leaves it leaves the door open to speculation with stuff like this. And now, now yeah. the reasonable conclusion is that this proxy betting thing, where someone used his account to place a bet, or he made a bet for someone else that wasn't that he wasn't actually doing, and it, you get in. If that's the case, then it just seems stupid to punish someone for something like that. But all right, so 40, here, forty-one games is a lot. That that's half of a season, and yeah, he's not even under contract. But the games count, and then I mean. So, Look, he, so I think he had like an $800,000 qualifying offer. He was working towards um, a, a new contract that was around $2 million salary. And that just went out the window once this happened. So it's a lot this whole situation is just stupid. So, he, I, so I, I agree with you on everything uh, on, on all of that. It, I, I think to your point, the only thing that I can come up with that would even rise to the level of, of a player needing to settle a 41 games. Cause again, if 41 game suspension is the settlement, that means the NHL probably wanted a lot more, right? And the NHLPA probably got it, quote unquote, down to 41 games. The only thing I can think of, and this is your to your point, we are left to do this because the NHL refuses to just say what happened. If you just say what happened, which I, again, this is why I'm my brain goes here. He placed a proxy bet with somebody else outside of the league, not related to the league. But he bet on hockey because he knew shit was going down on some for some team 
like you know what i'm saying like he he like he had a, he had an inside piece of information somebody else somewhere else in another place placed a bet and it was a proxy surrogate thing like that's the only thing i can think of that would rise to the level of what amounts to almost a million dollar suspension for a player who who can make 2 million dollars like i th- there's no other way for to make sense of a half a season suspension for a guy who according to you nhl has not broken a rule so like i it's it's bonkers if they just come out and say like the key the key is they are trying look i i personally think that these gambling companies they have so much data in real time they have supercomputers running infinite amounts of data they know exactly when something's off right like vegas knows like we had the alabama baseball coach get fired in the middle of the season because they found out he was gambling within like 3 days like it, these supercomputers know when when the when the the fix is in or whatever phrase you want to use right so we like this guy was found out obviously pretty easily these i the way they track these vpns and the way the, the geolocators like they they track everything in vegas because the integrity of the game is of the utmost importance for the nhl so i am assuming this has to actually tie back to the nhl in some way shape or form it may not be through this particular player specifically but I do think the NHL hurts its credibility by not just telling us the story. Cause otherwise I'm sitting here speculating about how like he told his grandma to tell the other grandma in like the Florida casino uh, to go, to go bet on how Ottawa was going to lose with a ton of money because he knew like X, Y, and Z players were going to be out. Like, otherwise that's the only thing I could think of that would rise to the level of half a season suspension that he would also accept in a settlement and an NDA. It's, it's yeah. wild. I mean, that that's, Pretty much the only thing that logistically makes sense that why he would he would accept and then agree not to appeal a half season suspension. And, and look, it's probably something like, I don't know, just this is all hypothetical making this up here. This is if someone in the, if he had a friend in the Florida Panthers organization that said, hey, this player is getting traded next week and he knows it's going to happen and he's going to go to Vegas and he's going to place some money down on the odds of that person getting traded because he knows it's going to happen. He's going to make some money for someone who can't do it because they work in that organization. Basically that's, See? that's essentially what this is there. At least that's what this is shaping up to what it's looking like because the I, NHL will give us details. We have to speculate this and we could be wrong, but it's probably a similar situation. Just, just say what happened. Maybe uh, and who knows? Maybe Shane Pinto went to the NHL and was like, look, I'll sign an NDA. I won't appeal. I'll accept whatever you give me as long as you don't let people know that I somehow, some way was involved with a bet that was on the NHL. Maybe it was his idea. Who knows? Yeah. But this yeah. this whole gambling crap is just, it's, it's annoying to deal with because you... Just make it above board. It's, yeah. it's, it's better regulated now that it's legal in most states. In fact, we know more about this weird op stuff because it's legal. Like that, that's how you make, like, I'm, I'm you know, I, I make it all legal kind of guy. Like, Anything you think is illegal right now from a personal decision-making standpoint, I think it should be legal. Regulated above the table, it's going to be better for everybody. Like, listen, all I'm saying, there's a good chance that Grandma Pinto, her best her best friend who plays bridge, Babs, is over there placing a bet on some NHL thing or some story because there was inside information. And uh, part of the negotiation is that clearly the games that he's missed due to contract negotiation are also part of that. So that also could be part of what, what he got out of the deal, right? Is that game every game that goes by counts towards a suspension, even though he's not under contract. So <laughs> the whole thing is so crazy. Uh, either way, if you want to read the details, and Michael and I made no sense just then, 
uh, go Nashville Hockey Now and go check it out. Uh, they got a nice breakdown of it. Um, it's it's a wild it's a wild story and transparency and clear rules would be better and best for everybody. Uh, but otherwise, I lo- I do enjoy the speculation. You know, old, old Grandma Pinto <laughs> and her best friend Babs <laughs> just running running a scheme <laughs> to make money off the NHL. It's great. Maybe that's what the NHL wanted because we don't know what's going on. We're talking about the NHL and that's what they want. Maybe there's your point. All right. uh, Go to Jasper's, everybody. Nashville Hockey Now as well. Check out That's All Your Fault with Jeremy K. Go over over there at the Nashville Scene and the Nashville Post. All all those uh, great and wonderful folks taking care of you Predators fans here in the market. For Michael Gallagher, I am Braden Gall. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, Best of luck in the Fantasy League. For those of you who are listening, we do appreciate it. Rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It means a lot to us. It helps people find us. We do appreciate it. And uh, other than that, have a great week. We'll talk to you next time.